0: One of the objectives of our military in Iraq and Afghanistan has been to identify and expose the enemy. It's one of their objectives. There's multiple objectives, but one is to expose the enemy. The enemy has been very effective in the use of their IEDs, their improvised explosive devices, along with a variety of ambushes and sniper attacks. The military needs to know enough about the enemy's methods to be adequately prepared for their attacks. And in a similar way, in a similar way, if we're going to fight right, as we battle the world and the flesh, and today as we talk about the devil, we also need to have enough information about our enemy and the methods of attacks to be able to, as we read in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9, where Peter writes, he says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil. Your enemy. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, Peter says, standing firm in the faith. You've got an enemy. We are to resist. By standing firm in the faith. And so this morning we want to expose who the devil is. And how to stand firm against him and his forces when we're being attacked. Because we will be attacked. We will do this by looking at a portion of scripture found in the Gospel of John chapter 8. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and one of our ushers will loan you one. In this chapter... Jesus is in the midst of a of a rather intense conversation with some Jews, some religious leaders and the issue is about the devil. Jesus talks very frankly about the devil and he talks very frankly about the impact that the devil can have on our lives. And so I want to read a portion of scripture found in John chapter 8 beginning at verse 42 through verse 47. John chapter 8, verse 42, it begins, Jesus said to them, well, who is them? Well, them would be all of the religious leaders, because if you go to the very end of chapter 8, you will discover that Jesus was in the temple area. And so here were some Pharisees, some Sadducees, religious leaders, Jews who were gathered, and Jesus was having this intense conversation with them. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and now am here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Wow. You know, there are three questions Jesus answers here about the devil in this passage of Scripture. Three questions, and each is incredibly important for us to understand if we're going to properly battle our enemy. And the first question that Jesus addresses is, who is the devil? Who is he? Who's the devil? One of the obvious and very important things to mention right up front is that Jesus believed in the devil. Okay? And not simply as some impersonal Generic evil force in the universe. Jesus talked very literally about the devil as a real being. Look at what he says again in verse 44. He says, you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He is describing the devil here in literal terms as a literal being. Now, there are some who would say, you know, how could anyone believe something as archaic as that? I mean, come on, really? The source of evil is this being in a in a red suit who's got horns and holding the pitchfork? Come on. And I totally agree. If your idea of the devil is no more than a comical figure in a red suit, horns and a pitchfork, We need to let go of that notion. I mean, Jesus is describing no such silliness here. Jesus is describing a real being who is ultimately the source of real evil in the world today. Now, for those of us who may still be struggling with this idea of a literal devil, think of it with me this way. If you believe in a real personal God... Is it really that hard to embrace the idea of a real personal enemy of God? The spirit world is all around us. The worldview around us, unfortunately, continually says to us in various ways that if you can't see it, if you can't analyze it, if you can't touch it, you ought not believe it. That's the worldview. That's a humanistic worldview. But the Bible says that is absurd if that's the view that we hold. There is a literal spiritual realm all around us made up of angels and demons that are actively working. We can't see them, but they're real. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we're told this by the Apostle Paul, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, okay, but against what? Against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Now that last phrase is really important. The phrase, heavenly realms. And when we hear that, we generally think of heavenly realms being someplace way up over there. In heaven. But this is not what this phrase is saying. The phrase heavenly realms speaks of a realm or a dimension of reality that is all around us right now. A spirit world that is here, but we can't see it. Now, once we admit the possibility of a spirit world is it really that much of a stretch to assume that this spiritual world that exists around us, contrary to the worldview that says if you can't touch it, analyze it, or see it, that there is probably a hierarchy of power and a real being who oversees this hierarchy? I mean, is it that much of a stretch? I mean, Jesus, who is a rather credible source of truth, okay, has some things to say about this being, the devil, Well, first, he's a created being. Look at verse 44 again. Jesus says, concerning the devil, he was a murderer from the beginning. From when? From the beginning. Notice, he had a beginning. Which means he was created. He had a beginning. There was at some point in time in history that he had a beginning. That he was created. He is a created being. And he was created as a very powerful angel. We're told this in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28, verses 11 through 15. I'm not going to look at it, but you have the verse in your notes there, and you can look at it later. And this was a very powerful angel that rebelled against God and was cast out of heaven along with a host of other rebellious angels. But realize, realize, the devil was a created being. Now, God, on the other hand, was not created. God is eternal. God has always existed. As theologians and philosophers will sometimes say, God is the uncaused cause. He's always there. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. He never had a beginning and will never have an end. Unlike the devil. He was created and had a beginning. Now this is, I think, a very important distinction because sometimes I believe that many Christians elevate the devil to the same powerful position as God. And that God is there frantically trying to outmaneuver the devil as the devil is roaming around the earth. And if that's a notion that you have of the devil, please dismiss that because this is not an equal, this is not a battle of equals. Not a battle of equals. Absolutely not. We must understand that the devil is not omnipotent. That is all powerful. The devil is not omnipresent. That is, he cannot be everywhere at once. He has locality. He can only be at one place at one time. But he does have demons that do his bidding or those fallen angels. And so let's be careful that we don't give too much credence to the devil and his demonic forces because he cannot be more than one place at one time. One of the things that concerns me is when I've heard Christians pray or speak to the devil in the middle of some prayer. In the midst of a prayer, somebody might say or pray something like, Satan, you have no power, no right to be here. You have no authority or hold on this person's life. And you know what? All of that may be true. But one thing that is disturbing is that I doubt that Satan himself is personally present unless you might be on the cutting edge of some great kingdom ministry and he's there to check out the, th- the things that God is really doing. You know, otherwise it is probably some demonic force, some demon that has even less power, less influence than Satan himself. But beyond that, a question for you to consider is, why would any of us in, a midst, in the midst of a prayer... To the eternal God of the universe, the all powerful, omnipotent, omnipresent God, why would we at any point in time, in prayer to the God of the universe, stop and all of a sudden start talking to some supposed evil influence? It's like trying to give a little extra time to a mosquito in comparison to the God of the universe. Now, I'm not trying to diminish his influence or control or power and influence on people's lives. But I'm kind of going, friends, think with me. Why would we in the midst of a prayer to the God of the universe, the everlasting God, the Lord of Lords, host of hosts, would we spend any time interrupting that kind of a conversation to speak to some evil force? He was a created being. Why would we speak to a created being in prayer? Okay. What else can we learn from Jesus in the passage about the devil? Notice again, verse 44. What does Jesus say about this evil one, the devil? Verse 44. He was a murderer from the beginning, a destroyer of life. That's what he did to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He destroyed the spiritual life that they had. Later in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus described the devil in this way. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. What a contrast this is. This is what the devil is all about. He is all about stealing, about killing, and destroying. He was and is a murderer. He wants to destroy any experience of life that God desires for you. Any spiritual life that God desires. He wants to destroy. He wants to eliminate it. He wants to do whatever he can, and he will do it however he can. Now, there's something else that Jesus mentions here in this passage, which is really his primary point in in his discussion with with the people that are there that day in the temple area following him. And it's very pointed. And this is what's so offensive, I think, to the hearers of Jesus' words that day. Because it was his primary point. And Jesus' primary point here is that we either belong to the devil or we belong to God. That was his point to those religious leaders that day. We either belong to God or we belong to devil. Verse 44, you belong, he says, to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Please understand, who's he talking to? A bunch of religious leaders. And this is amazing when you stop to think about it. These people were saying, we are Abraham's descendants. We're followers of Abraham. We're good people, religious people. And Jesus says, to them, you belong to your father, the devil. You go, what's going on? Again, these are, are people that have shown interest in following Jesus, or at least taking the time to hear what Jesus has to say. They appear to be good religious people. But Jesus says, you are of the, your father, the devil. Jesus, I think, wants us to understand there is no middle ground. We either belong to the devil or we belong to God. That's it. There's no middle ground. What this means is that a person, I think, can be following the devil and not even realize it it's a rather radical statement, I realize, but but it's important that we understand this. These are Jesus' words. They're not mine. These were good people. They were religious people. But Jesus says, you're of your father, the devil. Now, most people think that following the devil is obvious, right? That it's obvious. I mean, it's those people that, that wear the pentagrams They wear black. They have their bodies pierced. They listen to music from ACDC and listen to the song Highway to Hell. Right? Right? Following the devil is obvious. And that's what the devil would want us to believe. He doesn't want us. He doesn't want to be obvious. He doesn't. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, he said, For Satan himself, what? Masquerades as what? As an angel of light, as an angel of light, he can look very good and wants to look very innocuous to us. His goal is to keep people from Jesus, from living a a life of dependency and trust in Christ. That's his goal. And he can do it, I think, in two very different ways. First, he can do it by stirring our desire to do wrong. And rebel against God and, and all of that. We've talked a little bit about that already as we've looked at the world and the flesh. And how Satan and his demonic forces can sort of encourage us to, to think about the flesh and, and, and give in to that. And so we understand that, that the devil can deal with us. He can attack us by stirring our desire to do wrong and rebelling against God and all of that. But you know what? He can also do it by using our desire to be good. He can also use our desire to be good. And you say, Kent, what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is where we believe that we can gain our acceptance before God by being religious people. By being good people. By being good people whereby we try to gain our acceptance before God by being a good person or using religion as a means to gain our acceptance before God. Because the bottom line with that is that we are trying to be our own savior when we believe that if we are just good enough that God is going to then receive us. And if the devil can use that as a means to keep people from experiencing the truth and the freedom of a relationship with Jesus Christ, he's going to use religion to keep people from God and sadly he has done a masterful job in using religions throughout the world to keep people from God because if they just simply believe that if I am good enough and I do all of these things then God is going to accept me and receive me and so the devil if he can use religion for his purpose he's going to use religion You see, the devil's goal is to disrupt, to kill, to steal the life of God. And that life is found in Jesus. And he will do it however he can. Whether it's by using the things of the world to draw us in. Whether it's by causing us to just respond to the flesh. Or even if it's use religion and good works. He's going to use all of those methods to keep us from God. So what have we said about the devil this morning? We've said this. He's a created being, he is limited in power, he is a destroyer of life, and he masquerades as an angel of light. That's what he's about. Now the second question that Jesus addresses is the question of how. How does the devil work? We've talked a little bit about that, but let's get more specific. We understand that he is a murderer. He's working to destroy the life of God as much as possible in followers of Christ. So how does he do it? What is his strategy? Well, first, Satan and his demonic forces can inflict a a follower of Christ physically like the Apostle Paul experienced as he talks about his thorn in the flesh, which he described as what? A messenger of Satan. Satan. He talks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Or there is Job in the Old Testament who also experienced extreme physical suffering that was caused by Satan. But please understand, although that may be one means in which Satan can try to inflict a believer, a follower of Christ, and Satan may have a plan, but understand he must get permission and that can only happen as God allows or directs. I love what Job had to, the way it unfolded for Job because it's as if the, the, the curtains of heaven were opened up and we got a little glimpse of some of the, the activity that goes on in the heavenly realms as it was if Satan had to just sort of, as a subservient individual, created being, had to present himself before God. And God says, so where have you been? And he goes roaming around the earth. And it's like he has to check in with God, the God of the universe. And he goes, you know, here's this guy, Job, and you've blessed him incredibly. And Satan was essentially saying the only reason that Job fears you is because you've blessed him. And God says, "Okay, fine. You know what? I know that his faith is much more than just uh the external stuff that he's been blessed with." And so God says, "Okay, here is a boundary, and you cannot pass that." And so what we have taking place there in the book of Job is that that Satan in f- comes along and he he takes his family, he takes his possessions, and Job is still Job is still faithful to God. And then Satan has to come back to God and go, Okay, well, that really didn't work as well as I expected. So how about if I can touch him physically? And God goes, you can do that, but you cannot take his life. And you see, friends, Satan can at times inflict us physically. But he cannot do it unless God first gives permission. And God is always going to have a purpose in allowing Satan or his demonic forces to inflict A follower of Jesus Christ. Okay? You with me? But secondly, there is a work of Satan that does not need God's permission or authorization. And this is his number one preferred line of attack because he doesn't need God's permission to attack us in this way. And what is that? What is it that doesn't require God's permission? Well, Jesus could not be any clearer here. Look at verse 44. He says, When he lies, that is the devil, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. What's the strategy? Lying, right? Jesus says, When the devil lies... He is speaking his native language. You know, for most of us here, our native language is English. for others, it might be Spanish or some other language. For Satan, it's lying. It's lying. That's what he does. There is no truth in him. None whatsoever. He lies all the time. Now, you may be thinking, so what? You know, I know people that lie all the time and they don't have any power or influence over me. I just know they're they're liars. They're liars. So how can a being as powerful as Satan is supposed to be, how can he use lying primarily as this huge preferred objective influencing us? It's really very simple. And because it is so simple, we often get duped into believing the lie. Let me illustrate it this way. Say I wanted to uh, remove all of you from this building. Okay? In the next few minutes. How could I do that? Well, you know, I could try to verbally force you, just ordering you to leave the building... But some of you wouldn't like to be told what to do. And so you might just be sitting there kind of going, Kent, I'm not going to listen to you. Just go away. Okay. Or I could maybe by force begin to remove some of you from the building. You know, and some of you, I might be able to do it. I might have a more difficult time with folks like Kim or. Eric or whomever, you know, they might put up a little fight and, you know, but I could maybe remove some of you from the building that way. And if I got some help, I could maybe in, you know, an hour or two, maybe have everybody exit the facility here. But, you know, that'd be a lot of work. It really would. I'm not sure I'd want to do that. Um, and I would really have a tough go of it. So how could I do it without lifting a finger? What if I told you, What if I told you that Embassy Suites just had the building inspected 10 minutes before this service began? And the structural engineers who were here, who are licensed, said in no uncertain terms that this roof was going to collapse at any moment. Now, when you hear that, what is it going to take for you to voluntarily and quietly... Remove yourself from the building. Now, I know some of you are looking up at the ceiling and kind of going, huh? This is an illustration, friends. You know, it's one thing. It's simply one thing to get you to exit this space. You just have to believe what I'm saying. That's it. It doesn't even have to be true. Right? You just have to believe it. I have to be convincing enough. If you believe it, you're going to remove yourself from this building. And at that moment, I'm exerting power over you through my lie. Right? If I can get you to believe a lie that influences your behavior... I have just exerted power and control over you. Right? Yeah. You see, the devil and his demonic forces have incredible power, but not in coercing and forcing us to do anything. Their power is in this incredible skill that they have at lying. In lying to us on a regular basis. Satan and his demons have been doing it since the beginning. They're real good at it. This is how it all started. Isn't it? I mean, back in Genesis in the Garden of Eden, God tells Adam and Eve, hey, you can enjoy anything in this lush, beautiful garden, God says. It's yours. And he says, have a ball here. I've created it for you. I have given it to you to enjoy all i ask is that this one tree over there you just stay away from it because you're going to die if you eat from it that was god's message that was god's word to adam and eve and so adam and eve are are doing fine they're enjoying god they're enjoying each other they're enjoying all the blessings that god has given to them in this wonderful place called the garden of eden and now satan Satan steps on the scene and he obviously wants to derail this love fest between Adam and Eve and God. And so what did he do? What did he do? Did Satan use physical force to try and get them out of the garden? No. Did he try to command them to leave the garden and and disobey God? No. Didn't do that. All he did was to tell a lie. And it was even kind of a half lie at that. He just simply told a lie. He says, you won't die if you eat from this tree. He says, here's what's really going to happen. You know, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. He says, God is lying to you. He doesn't have your best interest at heart. He's lying and he's keeping something really, really good from you. He just wants to spoil all your fun. That was the lie. And Adam and Eve bite into that lie, literally. Hook, line, and sinker. They believe the lie ate the fruit, and all hell breaks loose, literally. Satan destroyed, at that moment, all the wonderful things Adam and Eve were enjoying by one lie, and the world was upended because of one lie. And the question is, How has Satan done the same thing to us? To you? How has he stolen from you? What has he robbed from us? Because we have believed his lies. Go ahead. Work 60, 70 hours a week. You will feel so important. Go ahead, visit that strip club. Watch a little pornography. Hey, you deserve a little excitement in your life because your marriage isn't that exciting. Go ahead and sleep with the guy or the girl that you're dating. That purity thing, it's not really worth it. I mean, others are sleeping around and it it doesn't seem to make a big deal. Or go ahead and, and cheat on that test. I mean, come on, if you're going to get ahead, you need to do that because everybody else is cheating. The marriage. Hey, it would really be easier to just end it now because you know what? I deserve better. I mean, you fill in the blank. You fill in the lie. How is Satan lying to us? What is the destruction and the pain and the hurt that has resulted from lies that we have believed and acted on in the past? What are they? When we believe his lies, he exerts control and power over us. That lie, however innocuous it is, it's like bait on a hook. You know, when... We chomp on it, it gets its hook into us, and the next time the lie is presented, we, we don't resist. We can't resist. Because we're caught. And each time the hook has a greater and greater hold on us. I think this is what Paul was referring to in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27, where he talks about giving the devil a foothold in our life. We've continued to believe a lie. And then the lie is perpetuated. And we believe another lie that says, man, oh, man, you know what? Because I have fallen and stumbled so many times because I've sinned against God so many times. There's no way that God could forgive. Or that I'm just a, I'm just a a failure. I'll never amount to much of anything. And when we continue to to hear those messages and believe those lies, the hook gets further and further into us. And the next time the lie comes, we're, we're unable to resist. And I think that's what Paul was talking about when he says, be careful that you do not give the devil a foothold. And the foothold is continuing to believe the same lie over and over again. Each time the hook has greater and greater hold on us. And I think Satan and his demons, they just sit back and they just laugh. Why? Because they really didn't have to do anything. They just told a lie, and the lie was believed. Now, this is what makes Satan's strategy so effective is that he's this prince of stealth. You know how those stealth bombers, they fly in such a way that, that radars don't pick them up, and because of that, they can do tremendous damage. Well, Satan is the prince of stealth. Satan and his demons are, are like those stealth bombers. And for most of us as Christians, Satan and his demons are not even on our radar screen. And because of that, Satan is dropping these bombs, these lies, like, all over. As he's roaming the earth, he's dropping these lies. And when we begin to believe... And act on it. He's exerted power and control over us. All the lies. And one of the favorite places for him to do this is in our relationships. When a hurt happens between two people, Satan just loves to drop in a lie or a false assumption. You know, we've all been there. And then because of a false assumption, because we go, well, the way they looked at me when they told me this, I think there was something behind what they said. That's the lie. And when we begin to believe the lies, the damage, and the shrapnel, we oftentimes can't measure. And it happens in our relationships most often. I mean, this is the story of far too many marriages. Far too many friendships. Far too many churches. Where there is relational devastation directly related to some demonic lying activity. And we often don't even realize it. Am I believing a lie? When are we going to start living our theology? Realizing that there is a devil and his demonic forces that want to destroy all that is good in our relationships. It's how we did it in the beginning. It's all about relationships being destroyed because of a lie, because of an assumption, because of an innuendo, because of a lack of understanding. And so when are we going to start living our theology, realizing that there is a devil and his forces and they want to destroy anything and everything that is good that God has for us? When are we going to realize that he and his cohorts are constantly lying to us? They're actively working to destroy our marriages, our families, our workplaces, our church. Actively doing everything to destroy the work of God. So what do we do to combat the enemy? That's the third question. So what do we do to combat this enemy? How do we overcome the devil? You were going, okay, Kent, it's about time. How do we overcome the devil? So how do we battle and fight right this enemy that is so intent on my destruction and your destruction? How do we do it? And the first... First of all, it's very important, and this is foundational. We need to look at our radar system. Some of us here don't even have a radar system. Now, you might think, so Kent, what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is that you're not even in a right relationship with God. And when you're outside of God's purpose and will because you're not living in relationship with Him, you don't even have a radar system to detect the the bombs that that are being dropped. We have no way of detecting the enemy's work. Why? Jesus tells us. He says, look at verses 45 through 47 in John chapter 8. He goes on there and begin at verse 45. He says, yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Again, no middle ground. The inability of having a radar system is directly related to not belonging to God. And as Jesus is here talking to these religious leaders, he's saying, you don't belong to God. You have no way of detecting the enemy's attacks. You are trying to use religion as a means to gain acceptance before God. You don't belong to God, he's saying. Jesus is saying that the foundational issue in this battle is to whom we belong. Over and over again, Jesus challenged people to believe in him, not just intellectually as some historical fact, but to know him personally. As we have a time set around harvest, it's not about religion. It's about a relationship. It's not about doing because it's already been done by Jesus Christ. Now, let me talk to those of you who do belong to Jesus, but who may not be using their radar. We need to remember that the Holy Spirit lives within us. He is our truth detector. You know, he is continually willing to help us discern what's happening and to speak to us. But the question is, are we even listening? When we're sensing some relational tension... When we're being pulled by some temptation, are we even listening to his voice, asking him for wisdom and discernment? Or do we have the radar screen turned off? Or are we just ignoring the radar? Why am I feeling maybe this way towards this person? Why are my wife and I just not getting along? It's like, what's going on here? And we have to stop, step back, and seek wisdom and discernment and ask God what's going on. What lie am I being tempted to believe? And the Holy Spirit, when we approach him in that fashion, can help us answer these questions if we tune into him. It's interesting, later in the book of John, Jesus twice refers to the Holy Spirit in this way. He says the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Jesus said in John 16, verses 12 through 14, he says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, it says he will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by talking, for, uh, by, by taking from what is mine and making it known, known to you. Excuse me. You see, lying, lying is Satan's primary weapon. It's his preferred weapon. God has given us a far more powerful weapon to resist and defeat him. It's called the truth. It's called the truth. That's how you defeat a lie, right? Embrace the truth. We have in our very being the spirit of truth who lives in us and speaks to us. And as we read in 1 John 4, 4, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. You see, this is the Holy Spirit's job description to guide us into all truth, which is the very thing we need in the battle. We need the truth. And one of the primary ways the Holy Spirit guides us is through the Bible. Right? Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Bible. It's the spirit's sword. And we need to use it when we're under attack, when we're being lied to or drawn into temptation. That's what Jesus did three times in Matthew chapter 4, if you're familiar with the temptation that Jesus experienced, having been in the wilderness for 40 days without food. Satan comes with a bold face lie, a half-truth, a misuse of Scripture, Next week, Pastor Tim is going to talk about Matthew chapter 4 as we sort of bring this series to a close. But realize Matthew chapter 4 is a great example of bold faced lie, half truth, and a misuse of Scripture. But Jesus responds in every one of those attacks with what? It is written. The truth. The way to defeat a lie is you align the truth. And when the truth is properly, properly aligned to the lie, it's very simple to live the truth. If you remember that encounter that Jesus had with Satan, interesting how those attacks came. You see, because Satan's desire was to destroy the work of God by getting Jesus to believe the lie lies like God doesn't really care about you because if God did care about you, he would have provided some food for you. You've been without it for 40 days, wouldn't he? Or if you really are God's son, prove it, do something spectacular or you don't need to endure The sufferings of the cross, the pain of the cross. You don't need to endure that. Even though that was God's plan, Satan was saying, I will give you the kingdoms of this world without the pain. You see, Satan is constantly bombarding us with lies and half-truths. And he will do everything he can to destroy the work of God in your life. That's why you must identify the lie. You must know the truth. And then you must choose to believe and live the truth. That's the solution. Identify the lie. Know the truth. Because Jesus said the truth will what? Will set you free. And then you have to choose to live the truth. Friends. In the midst of our struggles, there are real and at times intense and powerful. Or as one of our staff people said, you know, we find ourselves in a poo storm at times. And we ought not forget that it is a storm. And it's pretty intense. And it's pretty incredible. There is no question as to who has already won the battle. Satan Listen to this as we close. Satan is a defeated foe, yes or no? The verdict is in, yes or no? The judge has ruled, yes or no? The sentence has been declared, yes or no? Satan has been found guilty, yes or no? Do you really believe that? He's guilty. He has lost the kind of power that we sometimes Give to him. You see, it is just a matter of time until Satan begins serving his sentence. And the critical question is whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? See, friends, a little earlier, the question was whose side are you on? Because there is no middle ground. You are either a follower of Jesus Christ or you're not. And this morning, you need to really seek and search deeply into your heart and ask yourself that question, am I really a follower of Jesus Christ? If not, you need to make some changes, and we're here to help you make those changes. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, but yet you have not been using that radar, let me encourage you, because the Holy Spirit lives within you, and he wants to lead, guide, and direct you. We have no reason to fear the devil You know, it's almost like giving too much time to a mosquito. Yeah, an annoyance. But you know what? Let's be careful. We don't give him more credit, more time, more power, more authority. Because he is a defeated foe. He's done for. Let's pray.